There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. The Angel's Song by Charles Simeon Luke 2, verses 13 and 14 And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The circumstances of our Saviour's birth characterize in a measure the dispensation which he came to introduce. The gospel exhibits a plain yet profound scheme of salvation. While its great outlines are intelligible to the meanest capacity, it abounds with the most sublime and inscrutable mysteries. Thus, in the incarnation of our Lord, there was a meanness which seemed unsuitable to such an occasion, and at the same time a majesty that was worthy the person and character of the newborn infant. He was born not in a palace, but a stable, and had only a manger for his reception. Yet did an angel come from heaven to announce his birth, and a multitude of the heavenly host attended to proclaim his praise. In this divine hymn, the incarnation of Christ is represented in a twofold view. 1. As a subject for our deepest contemplation. The subject itself is announced in those words of the angel to the shepherds. Unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And in honour of this marvellous event, a multitude of the heavenly host break forth into strains so abrupt as to need much careful elucidation, and so ardent as to express as fully as possible what angels feel in the contemplation of this divine mystery. Behold, peace now exists on earth. The whole race of man had fallen and were subject to God's heavy displeasure. Nor was there on man's part any possibility of restoring himself to the divine favour. But God devised a mode for reconciling the world unto himself through the intervention of his only dear Son. On his co-equal, co-eternal Son, who was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, he laid our iniquities, and so his justice being satisfied by an atonement in our behalf, reconciliation might be effected for us in perfect consistency with all the divine perfections. Hence peace was brought down from heaven to earth through the sufferings of our incarnate God, who is therefore emphatically called the Prince of Peace. Now every sinner in the universe may have peace with God, and in his own conscience, if only he welcome his Saviour into his heart and believe in him as God's appointed instrument for the salvation of the world. And now also is revealed good will toward men. The strongest possible evidence of God's love to men was the gift of his only dear Son, to die for them. 
In this view, the incarnation of our blessed Lord is always spoken of, and Jehovah himself is represented as commending his love to us in and by this marvellous event. But far more than this is comprehended in the expression here used by the holy angels. I understand by it that through the incarnation of Christ, a full scope is given to the exercise of God's goodwill to man, so that it can flow down in the richest abundance into the soul of everyone that is at peace with him. Yes, to every believing soul will God manifest himself as he does not unto the world, and dwell in him and abide with him and give a spirit of adoption, yea, and the witness of the spirit to attest to him the relation in which he stands to God and will rejoice over him to do him good, rejoicing over him with joy and resting in his love and joying over him with singing. There is no expression of goodwill which a believing soul is capable of receiving from God, which shall not, more or less, be vouchsafed by God to every one that is at peace with him through faith in Christ. And by all this is the highest possible glory reflected upon God himself. There is not a perfection of the deity which is not honoured by this, yea, and more honoured than ever it was before. Wisdom and goodness and power and love had been displayed before in the formation of angels and in the blessedness diffused throughout the whole creation and the perfect adaptation of everything to its proper end. Holiness, too, and justice had been rendered conspicuous by the expulsion of all the fallen angels from heaven and the consigning of them over to everlasting misery in hell. But there had been no trace of mercy to be seen in any corner of the universe, nor could the highest intelligence in heaven conceive how the exercise of this perfection could consist with the rights of justice. But now the union and harmony of all the divine perfections was seen through the incarnation and death of God's only dear Son, justice exercised in a way of mercy, and mercy in a way of justice, or, as the psalmist expresses it, mercy and truth meeting together, and righteousness and peace kissing each other. Well then did the angels sing glory to God in the highest. They had seen no peace proclaimed in heaven, no expression of goodwill toward the fallen angels, but towards men on earth both were most gloriously displayed. Hence with wonder and admiration this blessed assembly pour forth their praises in this appropriate song, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Unless we enter fully into it. 2 as a mercy devoutly to be acknowledged. The angels, though in comparison of us they had no interest in this event, came down from heaven to celebrate and proclaim it. And shall not we celebrate it? Shall so much as one of us remain indifferent, now that the glad tidings of it are brought to our ears? Consider, I pray you, first, your own personal interest in it. Where would all of you have been if God had not devised and executed these means for your restoration to his favour? You had all participated in the guilt of the fallen angels, and must all have partaken of their misery. What could you have done more than they to avert or mitigate your doom? You would have lived only to fill up the measure of your iniquities, and would then have been reserved like those unhappy spirits in chains of darkness to the judgment of the great day. But through the substitution of God's only dear Son in your place and the atonement he has offered in your behalf, 
there is not so much as one of you that may not be reconciled to God, and made an everlasting object of his favour. In fact, I speak to you at this moment, am an ambassador from God to announce to you these glad tidings. To me, as his servant, is committed the ministry of reconciliation to declare that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And at this very moment, it is as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself addressed you, for, as bearing his commission and actually representing him, I now beseech you all in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Will not ye then adore God for this revelation of his mercy to you? Will ye not all rise as one man to welcome this Saviour and adore him, and to seek through him the blessings he has come to impart? What if such a revelation of mercy were sent to the fallen angels, do you think they would hear it with indifference? Or if they did hear it with indifference, is there so much as one of you that would not say, leave them to themselves, their damnation is just? Know then that in condemning them you condemn yourselves, and out of your own mouth will God condemn you at the last day. But I hope better things of you, my brethren, and I call upon you all now, at this very moment, in spirit at least, to join the angelic choir and sing glory to God in the highest, who has opened such a way for the effecting of my reconciliation with him, and for these wonderful displays of goodwill to my guilty soul. Second, the glory that will accrue to God from it to all eternity. But for this revelation of God's mercy to us, there would have been little difference between earth and hell, for God would have been no more glorified in the one than in the other. But God is glorified in the midst of us. I trust there are in this very assembly some at least who have found peace with God, and can attest from their own experience how sweet are the manifestations of his goodwill to their souls. And the time is shortly coming when all shall know the Lord from the least to the greatest, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And oh, what a place will this wretched world then be! What bright manifestations of the Saviour will then be vouchsafed to men! Methinks the visions of Mount Tabor will then be common upon earth, and this song of angels will become the common tone of intercourse between man and man throughout the whole world. But raise your thoughts to heaven, my brethren, and consider for a moment what is passing there. There are already millions of redeemed souls that rest not day or night from these songs of praise. There the chorus is swelling louder and louder every day to the accession of saints made perfect, every one having tuned his harp to the heavenly song, and bursting forth at his first entrance into heaven, into acclamations and hosannas that shall never end. And what shall we say of that period, when all the assembly of the redeemed, together with all the holy angels, shall join in one universal uninterrupted song, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Therefore blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him, that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Can you, my brethren, contemplate that day and not rejoice in the expectation of it, and long to be found in the happy number of the redeemed? I call upon you, then, yea, I charge you all in the name of the Most High God to begin this very day this heavenly song. Leave to an ungodly world to make this a season of carnal festivity. Make ye it a season of holy joy, a very anticipation of heaven itself. Application 
but I cannot close the subject without entreating you all to imitate the conduct of these holy angels. They were not content with being happy themselves. They sought to promote the happiness of others by making known to them these glad tidings and setting them an example of the frame of mind which they should cultivate. This is the way in which I would recommend to you, my brethren, to spend this holy season. Let each, according to his ability, improve the opportunities that are afforded him of diffusing far and wide this divine knowledge and of stimulating all around him the attainment and the exercise of this heavenly joy. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.